It's Christmas in Chicago, but there's no Kevin McAllister to be found. Could the Home Alone franchise work with a brand new lead, a different set of villains, and a young pre-famous Scarlett Johansson? Suppose we'll have to watch Home Alone 3 and find out. Welcome everyone to the Collector's Cut. I am Peter and joining me, as always, is David. You smacked my winky do you know what i guess that was going to be the line you were going to use yes yeah, you I, did I, I predicted it uh, either that or i left my bread in san francisco which is the only other standout line that i remembered from, yeah that's from the fair movie. that's uh, I, I i actually really struggled for a quote from this one <laughs> i can't blame you uh, we are here today to talk about home alone 3 we're doing all the home alone movies uh this christmas mm -hmm. season We've done one and two, so i.e. we've done the important ones already. So <laughs> we're here to now get into the trenches and go through the rest of the franchise. This is the only one after the first two that I had seen before. I saw this in theaters mm -hmm. in 1997 at the age of eight. I was the same age as the kid in the movie, which was a weird realization when he said he was eight in this. I was like, wait a minute. This guy's my age. <laughs> he'll, he'll, he's that exactly true, my age yeah. right now. Uh, assuming he was eight when he shot it, which he... Well, he might not have been. Maybe he was a little bit older, but... Honestly, maybe it's just because I'm old now, but, like, he looks like he's six to me. He looks like he's, like, <laughs> five years old. Yeah, I think it's standard, though, with this type of character to shoot... Like, he was probably maybe ten when they shot it, I would guess, mm. playing eight. Because yeah. they always go a little older because they can have someone who's slightly more mature than the character they're playing to take directions i think yeah but i mean i don't know uh so yes we have alex we don't have any kevin McAllisters here uh because i was thinking what age would macaulay culkin be about now uh probably about 17 give or take in this movie 97 yeah he'd be he'd be give or take yeah because we just we discussed he was what 10 years old in reality in 1990 so yeah yeah so he was 10 when he shot two and took him out in 92 uh so yeah he, he'd be about 17 ish give or take uh yep. so it was too late to use him really unless they wanted to do some kind of like aged up thing where oh no it's like teenage kevin McAllister taking on the mob or something uh which could have been fun i'm not saying that would yeah. be a bad idea necessarily but uh they wanted to do a home alone three so we have a new kid we have a new family we have a whole new thing to deal with uh, honestly other than the logo and the theme song that plays only as the, the title comes up, and then it never mm -hmm. comes up again for the rest of the movie, it is very much its own thing, just outside of the broad concept. Kid has traps and stuff happens. Yeah, also we decided that all of these things have to happen in suburban Chicago. Yeah, I was actually surprised when it ended up in Chicago again. I thought, wait, why should... I guess just because Chicago believably has snow at Christmas. I think that's maybe like one of the key reasons. Yeah, but there's a lot of cities you could pick. I have a feeling John Hughes has some little connection to Chicago or something that he just like. It's the same sort of thing with Stephen King in Maine, where he's just like, "Oh yeah, no, Chicago. I, I, I'm aware of the cities that are there, the way the houses look, the way that you know. Plus, uh, this city or this movie also kind of relies on having a nearby airport, so Chicago's a good pick for that as well." Oh, the Chicago's airport sort of near everywhere? It's I mean, it's central the city, yeah. Uh, okay, fair enough. Uh, 
I don't really know enough about it. So, by that reasoning is, like, say, JFK in New York, is that, like, outside of the city? You have to sort of travel a bit for that. You got me on that one. I, okay, I, I that's why I was asking. Well. Okay, fair I enough. I mean, from what we saw in the last movie, it's right next to New York. You just see the skyline right there as soon as you look out well, the window. Well, it's across the bridge, so I at least assume it's in, I don't know, Queens or Brooklyn or something like that. Wow, you're right. Yeah, just Googled it's in Queens. Good job. Nailed it. You know what? I'm an expert because I'm playing Spider-Man 2 right now and they added Queens in Brooklyn. So now I know, oh, which, yeah. I know which side of the Manhattan they're on now. I know Perfect. things. Spider-Man 2 giving you geography lessons. <laughs> yeah, the first game taught me where Hell's Kitchen was. And I was mm. like, oh, this is... And Harlem's up at the north of Manhattan. I'm learning things. Anyway, uh, yes, we're going to start spoiler-free, of course, as we always do for Home Alone 3. And we'll get mm-hmm. into it. Uh, so unlike the first two movies, which was, you know, two small-time crooks who were just breaking into houses, this time we have four spies who are trying to smuggle stolen uh, experimental technology for fighter planes or something, and their smuggled computer chip uh, gets swapped at the airport by accident to some old woman, which leads it to the hands of our main character, Alex. And that is, uh, they, they come looking for it. And that's the, that's the, that's the setup of the movie. I'll leave it there. We'll go into the rest in spoilers. But <laughs> David, you look distressed. Just based off of what you're saying, like I, I, I did what I normally do. I had never seen Home Alone 3, at least within mm-hmm. memory. I did what I always do, and I didn't look into it. I didn't research anything. I just looked where I could watch it, and then I watched it. And the fact that this movie opens in, like, the supervillain lair in Hong Kong saying, I need this chip for my missile defense system. I'm like, (laughs) what am I watching? What in the hell is going on? It's certainly a a different tone to begin with. I'll, I'll, I'll say that for sure. Uh... It's got Scarlett Johansson in it as the sister of the main character. And I just checked to yep. see, is this at least, can they at least say this is the first Scarlett Johansson film? It's not. She was in like four things before this. So it's not even got that yeah. distinction going for it. Uh, but anyway. Probably uh, the uh, biggest she did up to that point. Yeah, it's probably the biggest thing she'd done by 1997. But, you know, it's mm-hmm. only four short years later where I think uh, Lost in Translation is coming out into the world. So, wow, that was four. Damn. All right. Yeah, 2001. I think I'm right in saying that. That's That's incredible. It was about maybe, she, maybe it was like a year or two out later than I'm thinking, but it was you know it wasn't too you know if it's not four years it's five or six. It was it was 2003 when it came out. Yeah. Okay, so six years later. Okay, I was slightly off. Yeah, still that's it, I guess that's just one of those things where she is absolutely in my mind again being 30 now a child. She looks like she's 10, like maybe oh, yeah. 12. In this movie, obviously in real life she's older than both of us. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, although I think Ghost World was like 2000, so that was bigger than, mm. well, I don't know if you'd say it's bigger than this in terms of like name recognition, but it's, it's certainly in the film circles it's a bigger movie than Home Alone 3. I think it's the biggest thing that, Lost in Translation is the one that pushed her into stardom more yes. than Ghost World would have. No, I meant compared to Home Alone 3, not, obviously oh, Lost, yeah, yeah. Lost in Translation is definitely bigger, yeah. And then obviously mm. from there she was just a star in things. Yeah. But, yeah. So, uh, we have Raja Gosnell, the director, and I recognize that name. It's because he directed Big Mama's House and the Scooby-Doo live-action movies. 
I, I looked through his entire director's filmography and I was like, yeah, this makes sense. This yeah. makes sense that this guy's on this one. I've never seen, uh, say, the Smurfs movies that came out in the 2010s mm-hmm. or Beverly Hills Chihuahua, but it feels like it's in his, his repertoire based on I, what I have I seen. have seen Beverly Hills Chihuahua. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, it's got that going for it. Uh, all right, David, what did you I, think of Home Alone 3? Just, just, just rip, the, rip, rip, rip off the plaster. Let's do it. You loved Roger it. Roger Ebert <laughs> claims that this was his favorite Home Alone movie. I'm not making that up. He he liked this more than the first two Home Alone movies. And I don't want to say that I know more than Roger Ebert. But he's just wrong. <laughs> like, there's no way that this is the better Home Alone movie. It's, it's, if, if I, if I really had to nail it down, this movie is specifically made for the people who think, hey, that third act where it's all the traps and stuff, that's too short. And I don't care about this ooey gooey Christmas stuff. Just make the whole movie more traps. And if you like that, great. I'm sure it's a great movie for you. But for me, this is just, it's, it's a parody of what Home Alone is. It's, it's like it, you hand this off to somebody who's only heard the cliff notes of Home Alone of kid stops burglars from breaking into house. And he writes a whole movie based off that. So not a huge fan, Pete. How about you? <laughs> I think Ebert every year had one movie he was just absurdly wrong about. Like, just every yeah. year there'd be one movie where he's just clearly not quite right. Anyway, um, yeah, it's not good. Uh, I think it's it's fair to say. Uh, it does feel like a, a shallow echo of the previous two mm-hmm. movies. Like, there's a couple things you can kind of say they're trying to do this kind of bit again or they're trying to do that thing again. But the big thing for me is, as is, is cartoony as we said Home Alone 2's traps were compared to the first movie, this takes yeah. it in such a cartoony direction. Um, the, not, not even just cartoony in, like, they should be dead based on the things that are happening, but even just, like, some of the setup that has to go into this, that feel, it feels a little oh, yeah. bit more contrived that they even set off some of the traps. But the amount of setup where I'm like, no, this would take a team of people like three days to set this up. And this kid has done it in a morning uh, by the sounds yeah. of it. So... That that stuff it just feels kind of off. The, the kid doesn't have the same charisma that Macaulay Culkin no, did. Uh, I think it's fair not. to say. Um, and I was sort of hinting at this in the last review, but it does bug me that in this movie, he's not actually left home alone beyond just you're staying home while mum goes to work. You know, he's off school mm. sick. In fact, he's got chicken pox. That's the setup of yeah. the movie. And because his mum's a hardworking mum and the dad's away in business, he has to get left during the day. But he's not actually there for the, you know, because the whole premise of Home Alone is that he's there, you know, abandoned effectively for yeah. several days. And it just not having that element feels kind of, like, it takes a lot of the he's alone and vulnerable stakes away from it to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so oh, we'll get into all the specifics and all that as we go into spoilers. But I, uh, there's just there's something missing about the magic of what Home Alone actually is. Uh, I think the biggest problem in terms of what you're saying of magic is that this movie does not need to be set at Christmas time. In fact, it barely is. It's set in winter. There is snow and that's required. But I don't think there's a single thing in this movie that's definitively Christmas themed. And there's definitely none of that 
heartfelt joy and all that that really went into the first two movies it is christmas time and there's some christmas lights around but that's about it there's not like it's never really factored into the into the plot yeah right so yeah no that's a problem and then the other problem as well is you know marv and harry are such Mm. a big part of why home alone works right and they're so entertaining and we've got four villains this i said three last time it was even more than i remembered it's four of the bloody guys well and woman uh and honestly like i feel like the tone of these villains is so all over the place because the opening of the movie treats them so seriously and maybe the Mm -hmm. director and the the writer or whoever are going for this thing where oh it's these like proper villains in the this like the super spy world who are going to like that's the funny thing is they're going to meet their match when they end up against this kid who they underestimate but honestly it just felt like there was wild tone shifts because they were treating these guys yeah. like they were actually out of a spy movie so when the hijinks start happening to them it just feels weird um and on top of that like i said the kid doesn't have the charisma of macaulay culkin these villains are so just plain and lacking any of the character that marvin harry had it's just impossible yeah. to enjoy them getting the shit kicked out of them by the traps you know it's it's yeah it's like you were saying at the very beginning of the movie it's setting up as if it's like this spy thriller thing going on and they're played as like hyper competent the whole way through but then as soon as we get to the point where the traps start happening they're all just the same idiot it's not even like the marvin harry where they have these different personalities that one is you know small but tough he's angry and he's 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 gritty and whatnot and then the other one's more of a slapstick goofball they're all just the same they're all just the same character pasted four times over the only difference is that they're kind of given like the teenage mutant ninja turtles treatment where there's a leader there's a smart one there's a goofball and instead of Raphael, there's a woman and that's it yeah they're giving it a little bit of character before the trap stuff just in so much that one's kind of the i don't know the dumb aggressive one i guess like with the long hair uh you've got Mm -hmm. the smart guy who's got a lot of tech he's got like cameras and he's got he he hacks into things which i have (laughs) i I don't want i'm not even going to say it after this point but i'm just throughout this entire movie they stretched the bounds of what 1997 know, tech could possibly there, be. There's a moment early on where he, he's got a little camera in his glove and he takes a photograph of a license plate mm-hmm. and then he pulls out like a little screen. Little, pilot. Yeah. And it's got this perfect photo of this license plate. And I'm like, you know what? Obviously today that's nothing. Any one of us can take a photo mm-hmm. on their phone and it'll look on the screen. It'll look high resolution, all the rest of it. But this yep. is 1997. So I'm questioning the believability of him getting an instant photograph on this screen I'm in his pocket. I'm not even questioning that. I'm questioning the fact that his thing had a backlight at all. <laughs> like, all yeah, the other stuff fair. is too much. And on top of that, he's able to see it in the middle of the night? No, screw you. Not possible. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's some of that going on. Um, yeah. I mean, one, stretching it out to four characters might be part of the problem. I guess the reasoning mm. was, oh, there's more people to torture with traps. I guess that's the idea. But all of this does stretch, again, the believability of, okay, it's one thing two idiots like Marvin Harry, like, not being able mm. to outsmart Kevin McAllister. But now you've got four people who, like you said, up until a certain point in the movie, are portrayed as competent super spies who are yeah. doing, who are, you know, cracking alarm systems and they're 
you know, they're surveying places and you know, they feel like a team who know what they're doing. They had the ability to intercept phone calls from a house that they've never <laughs> even interacted with. There's a point much later in this movie where an FBI agent says that he has been looking for these people for seven years and they've always managed to escape. No, that's too competent. That's too much. <laughs> you need to have someone like the sticky slash wet bandits in order to be someone that's Look, on the level of a child. I might have. I might have accepted if we got a third one with Kevin McAllister, if you give him more competent opponents and say, no, no, he's leveled mm -hmm. up because he's done this twice already. So now it's like, this is a real challenge again because he's taken on someone more competent. I can maybe yeah. live with that. I could maybe get into the fun of that. Uh, but the problem is, is that I, even on the kids' side, though, I feel like in the first two movies, I feel like by the time we get to, to that point, just before Act 2 ends, where Kevin McAllister's making the choice to like defend the house, it feels mm -hmm. like a big deal where the movie's ramped up to that point and you understand why he's making that decision. In yeah. this movie, this this kid, it feels like it's just like, well, I guess I'm just going to have some traps tomorrow. I, I'm just going to, I've yeah. made the choice to do that now. And I'm like, okay. I'm just, I'm just a bored kid home from school. What would you do? Clearly yeah. it's booby trap your entire house. And it, I think the other issue is structurally the whole movie has changed where that realization happens 45 minutes into this hour and a half movie. It's not the third act. It's, it's halfway through. Like halfway yeah. through. Yeah. Uh, plus, even just in sense that it, they all just feel a lot more hijinksy this time, where mm -hmm. like I don't know, it's, it's tough to say, but it, just, it never feels like there's any stakes. And I know you're saying did Hobo One and Two have stakes? Did you ever believe Kevin was in trouble? I mean, mm -hmm. not really, but it still always felt like there were stakes to him. Whereas here, yeah. this kid never seems concerned that four people who all I think have guns. He never mm -hmm. seems remotely worried or concerned, no. really. He just kind of gets on with business. It's it's very weird. So, I mean, it's also throughout this and throughout the entire third act, like you said, they all have guns and such. But I don't feel like there was any point where he felt like he was in danger. No, there was in every other one of the Home Alone movies. They take the time to show him like being in a position where there was trouble at some point throughout this whole thing. He was in control completely yeah 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 I mean, I mean obviously it was usually towards the end of the trap section where okay he's actually in a little bit of danger now but something mm -hmm. as simple as marv grabbing his foot and it's like oh shit yeah. he's actually maybe caught had a little bit of weight to it uh whereas here there's nothing like that it, it never feels no. like that at all and there's some giant just nonsense that, that like like the, the movie's asking me to believe certain things like you know someone wouldn't be able to tell the weight difference between a real gun and a toy gun like it's yeah. just absurd no guns are heavy okay <laughs> they're they're made of metal they are heavy things plastic guns are very very light there is no way yeah. that this super assassin spy man is going to pick up a toy gun and be remotely convinced that he's holding his gun also and i think this is just poor writing in general but obviously they could not help themselves from doing the vocal tricks throughout the movie whereas before oh, we've yeah, been but, using the movies yeah but they take it in a whole new direction yeah i think this is like the worst writing thing that you could have done in order to make it like i don't know more hip is that what they were going for cooler with the kids no, i don't it's not know cooler. it's not cooler a parrot who's just like a parrot repeats things. A parrot does not actually yeah. hold conversations, but the parrot in this a parrot, movie... parrots. 
<laughs> That's the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's also got a, a mouse that he... Uh, mm-hmm. That's his pet that... He yes, talks to all the time. Yes, yes. So there's a there's a lot of goofier kid shit in this, and the movie mm-hmm. by the end just embraces that wholeheartedly in a way that, like, even as a kid though, this felt lame. This is not something that like is only not working for us because we're adults. When I saw this at eight mm-hmm. years old, it felt lame compared to the first two. So yeah. anyone who says like, "Oh, it's a kids' movie," it doesn't matter. No, it does. Kids like notice this shit. Like, there's some stuff you get away with in kids' movies, but there's a lot of things that. Even if the kid can't tell you why it's shit, <laughs> they are yeah. noticing it and saying and will feel that it's shit. So, you know, these things still do matter. Uh, as far as the mm-hmm. cast goes, other than the kids, yeah, obviously you've got Alex, you've got his sister played by Scarjo, you've got a brother as well who's kind of buzz, but not buzz. <laughs> yeah, basically. It's, both of the older siblings here kind of are just buzz, but they're split now between the two of them. Yeah. Not a lot of variation there. I could not say I recognized any of the actors who played the bad guys. I did recognize Alex's mum, and I was like, "What's she from?" Uh, she's in Gremlins too. That's where I know her from. Uh, yeah, she's uh, she was in Sixteen Candles as well. She had a few John Hughes things going on. I haven't seen that one, but that makes sense that she popped up in this then. Uh, and I guess the neighbor, who's the old lady, uh, I it does seem kind of familiar. I never actually looked into her, but uh, I I looked into her. I didn't notice her from anything, but she does have a very large career. So yeah, she's probably popped up. Could be anything here or there. Yeah. Um. So that's basically the 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 cast. There's there's, there's not really anyone else to go into. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's uh obviously Scarlett Johansson. As we already said, the only other character that was of any note that I actually did recognize was the first police officer on the scene was Neil Flynn, who... Oh, yeah, I, read, I know his face, yeah. Yeah, he's just been around in a bunch of stuff, you know, him from, like, TV shows and such. Um, most recently on this show, he was in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull as an FBI agent, so... He's on Scrubs, right? Yeah, he's yeah, a janitor on yeah, Scrubs. Yeah, yeah, so... Yeah, that's, that's that's it. That's that's what you've got face wise. Yep. Oh, actually, the FBI guy that they kind of bring in eventually, uh, he mm-hmm. looked familiar. I'm just going to click on him to see what I know him from. Uh, oh, he was in Chud. That's not what I was thinking. There's definitely something more mainstream that he's been in. Although I have seen Chud. Oh, he was in Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen. Apparently, just just as a news guy, it looks like I don't think that's a notable role. I think I recognize his face, though, so maybe it's just these small appearances and things, or... Yeah. Or Starship Troopers. Oh, no, yeah, Mr. Rico and Starship Troopers. He's, he's the dad of the main character in Starship Troopers. Oh, uh, okay. There you gotcha. go. Oh, he was in an episode of Babylon 5. Yeah, I've definitely just seen him and stuff around then. Okay. Oh, All he right. was in Bushwhacked, starring Daniel Stern. Funnily enough. Tiny little connections that f- make the whole Bevan or Kevin Bacon thing work out <laughs> that, that's all i got for you that's, that's all I'll, yeah that's, that's, that's all fine I'll... i mean i've i've looked through half these people i didn't recognize them the one that really stuck out to me was the dad uh his actor's name is kevin kilner didn't recognize him in anything but he seemed to be like the perfect blend of nathan fillion and david harbour for me like every time i looked at him he was looking like one or the other and I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I uh, I got that necessarily. He did the, yeah, That's again. He seemed vaguely familiar, so he's probably popped up in a guest spot in a TV show that I've seen, mm. kind of thing. Uh, That's fair. Yeah, it was in House of Cards for a couple of episodes, apparently. Uh, okay. That's a relatively big thing. I don't so. remember him, but so be it. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I only saw some of that show. I don't know if I saw the episodes he was in. I'm just... Right. You know. Uh, oh, American Pie 2. He played Dad. Dad of who? There was lots of fathers in that movie. I was going to say, that's an entire thing based around a bunch of kids, right? I mean, Eugene Levy is the main dad in American yeah. Pie, so I don't know who who dad uh, is, but... Well, he's not within the he's not within the top sixteen build, so I'm gonna say not <laughs> an important dad. Uh, I would I would say that's a fair assumption to make. Yeah. Uh, anywho, uh, yes. that's that's the cast. That, that, uh, spoilers, mm-hmm. everyone, because I don't have anything left to to say without spoilers at this now, point. The, the only other thing, because this is always saved right before spoilers, no John Williams music. He's oh, not it, at all. Well, here. other than them using the main theme at the start. Right. But other than that, yep. the, it's all new music and it's all forgettable. Yeah. It's not only all new music in terms of score. We also work in some licensed, weird radio punk songs in the middle, which just are the worst. That's the setting I, up the, I could that, not stand them. That's the setting up the trap montage. You get the, the yep. punk song comes in. Yep, and then the plays out to credits as well, just in case mm. you didn't get enough of it the first time around. Well, <laughs> spoilers, everyone. Home Alone yes. 3, we start with a shady business deal, mm-hmm. which later on we find out is uh, something to do with North Korea. But uh, uh, our, our four yeah. villains are tasked with getting this super secret computer chip uh, mm-hmm. from someone in the Air Force, which they get early on, and they're going to... Uh, what city are they in to start with? San, mostly San Francisco, based on yeah. everything else. Uh, the very first thing is in Hong Kong, and then they go to San Francisco yes. for the chip. And they get, they get the chip, and they hide it in a toy car, because it's the idea that they'll go through the airport security, and when they scan the toy car, it'll make sense that there's computer chips in there, because it's a remote-controlled mm-hmm. car. Fair enough. And yep. they do all that, but the hiccup comes when they've got the bag that it's in, there's an identical bag on the conveyor, and somehow it ends up in front of the other woman who's behind them or vice versa, whatever way it works out. They're, they're held up at the metal detector gate because someone in front of them beeps. So yes. then the other woman on the other side gets to go through faster. Yes. Uh, which turns out to be the neighbor across the street of our main family, but she yep. picks up the wrong bag with the toy car in it. And we get this whole sequence of them running around the airport, trying to find this bag and the, the woman that took it. Uh, and they basically, they set up that one of them's a bit of a goofball because he just checks the bathroom and says, oh, there was nothing in there when I was taking a dump. Right. Uh, that's the, the notable thing I've got for these characters. Basically, they look up at the board and see, okay, they're on a plane that's leaving right now. The only thing that's boarding at this moment is a flight to Chicago. We're going to Chicago. So, yep. so these spies follow this woman and somehow, despite the fact that they're already through security and where you, like, you know, book your flights, they somehow mm-hmm. get on the same flight to chicago and yeah as we as we find out later the fbi in trying to track them down notes that they already had tickets bought for hong kong but they didn't board so somehow while already passed everything they bought new tickets for that flight that was already boarding and then made their way on the plane but sure movie do what you gotta do (laughs) is this better or worse than all the plane nonsense in the first two it, this is worse just because it's not tight at all. Like, there's no... They didn't think through the ramifications of what they were doing. They were just like, we need to somehow get them to Chicago and following this lady. And they just did the most bare-bones level. Like, 
it, if you went through what they went through, where they said they looked at three different gates, they looked at a couple of extra places and the bathroom, do you think the next logical jump would be, it must be on the only boarding plane in the entirety of O'Hare? I mean, that was a, that was a leap. As well. I yeah. agree. Yeah. Um, but it's just the idea that they follow this woman all the way to Chicago on the same flight, and then mm-hmm. they don't catch her in time, but they see what the, the cab she gets into. So then they, they, they track down this cab later and ask the driver, who just gives out the information without second thought. Yeah. It's like, yeah, where did this old broad live? Oh, here, she had lights and blah, blah, blah. And so they, they find the street and they're like, okay, we don't know which house it is, you know, because the one clue that gave away the house was that the, it was the only driveway that wasn't shoveled. But as when we get to the house, we find out that young Alex has been hired to shovel her driveway. So when they yep. get there, they're all shoveled. It's like, okay, it's in one of these houses. So they've got a reason to search every house on the street starting the next day. And that sets up the plot of the movie. And then they specifically say, rather than waiting for night, as the bandits would have, they are going to go during the day because in modern suburbia, nobody's at home in the daytime. Except our neighbor character, who is a a retired person, will probably be home every day because... You'd think that there would just be like a couple of people on a... 14 house street i think they said i mean there's at least going to be one person home and i get that our main family has two working parents but there's no housewives like an like at all yeah, in this street. not a single one hey this is the late 90s pete we got working women now we got <laughs> get out of your 80s mindset okay house husband i mean like i'm just saying the chances that like all 14 or 18 houses whatever the number was the idea mm-hmm. that there's not one person who's typically expected to be home, and we already know there's one because there's a retired woman uh, who lives yeah. across the street who's at home most mm-hmm. of the time. But the idea that even in the regular families, there's not one person who it makes sense to be home during the day is a bit far-fetched. Um, yeah. But yeah, obviously, young Alex is gifted this toy car because this woman doesn't want it. She's like, well, I, took my, I got a fancy loaf of bread that I wanted to make a sandwich with, and I... I don't have that anymore, but this stupid toy car is here instead, so you can have it. Can can we just point out how much of a bitch this woman is for just no discernible reason? Oh, so instead of having the the old person who he's scared of, here's the mm-hmm. old person who just hates his guts. But by the yeah. end, because he saves her life, she's going to turn around and say, you know what, you're actually not an okay kid. That's, I, that's the plot that's all i can picture in my mind is the last two movies where we go through this whole thing of like oh no i was wrong about you you you've done this thing and they go through this whole emotional opening up to each other even the bird lady one that we didn't like as much it's still this emotional opening up to each other all we get in this movie from an emotional climax is oh so you're not a little like craphead of a kid you're just a normal good kid great well and also- then that's it it also feeds into this idea that this kid's never scared of anything, really. Uh, yeah. He has a little fright the first time he sees him breaking into a house and goes to call the police, but, like, he's never mm. really scared of anything, so therefore he never overcomes anything. Whereas, no. you know, Kevin in the first two movies, he overcomes stuff. He has a challenge. There's an arc there. This mm. kid is just like, well, I guess I'll just do stuff then, and then that leads to doing the whole trap stuff at the in the back half of the movie. The yeah, th- that's part of the movie though. We're just interested to him. We're interested to his family. Mm-hmm. He has the chicken pox, so he's staying home from school. The mum tries to stay home with him, but she's getting called Good. into work because it's a really tough working world out there. 
Can we can we talk about the the scene, the strange collection of lines as soon as he finds out he has chicken pox? So he's in the bathroom, he screams, and then Scarlett <laughs> Johansson's immediate reaction is Alex slammed his thing in the toilet again. And then everyone in the family just kind of accepts, yeah, that's probably what happened as they all go to check on Alex. Which I guess means he Probably more than once because oh well it may just yeah. be, it could just be once because the scream might be similar I suppose but it's the same scream yeah but the, you know yeah. this idea that he at some point because of his height and where he's standing mm-hmm. he's slammed the toilet seat down and not made sure that the that the space was clear shall we say yes. I mean I feel like I zip up before I move anything. <laughs> myself but i mean i i can't say as an eight-year-old what my order of operations was in the bathroom i mean yeah i don't know what i was doing when i was eight <laughs> I, I it's i think it's more so the idea that this is them trying to do that sort of humiliation thing that the families in the first two movies did ah, yes. where they're they're playing on this thing up just like oh stupid little alex unable to do anything right but he didn't he didn't do that thing. He just has chicken pox. And it just feels kind of weird that they're still so mean to him having chicken pox. Yeah, and the big thing is, is that obviously once the mom does leave for the day and he's mm. just got a hobby of looking out the, the, the attic with a telescope and that's how he catches the bad guys uh, in the other mm. house, he immediately calls the police, which to be fair is the correct thing to do. Uh, yeah. But of course, these people are so competent that they, they, they leave no trace that we're there. When the police get there, they break down the door. There's no one there. They do a joke here where they say freeze to the dog and the dog freezes with his paw yeah. up, uh, which, <laughs> like, okay, fine. We're, that's the sort of humor we're, we're doing then. All I was right. like, that, is, that is exactly par for the course for the entire yeah. rest of the movie. Uh, it's not even the last joke in the movie with the word freeze in it either. Nope. So... The cops come over and, you know, he explains, you know, because, you know, the mum comes home and Alex says, hey, I phoned the police because there was a guy in the other house. And then mm-hmm. the police came over to speak to them. He's like, hey, you know, son, the, the, calling the police with a false claim is a very serious thing. You shouldn't be doing that. And everyone mm-hmm. doesn't believe him. And I'm like, okay, so what they're going for well, here. Th- they specifically don't believe him because this house had like an anti-burglar alarm. Yes. And they managed to get by it. So that was their proof of like, there was never anybody here because it's still in place. Yeah. What's to be fair to the police? Like, there's no evidence of anything being taken. Uh, yeah. Everything looks orderly. The alarm was still mm-hmm. functioning when they came in. So, I, you know, I believe they don't think anything happened. Yeah, same. Uh, but they're like, no, this is a very serious thing. Don't do this. So, obviously, the, the arc of the movie, if you want to call it an arc, it's not even an arc so much. It's just, at the end, it's the, the like, everyone else is going to feel bad because they didn't believe him when he said there was someone there and the yeah. fact that this happens twice it happens again the next day he sees someone in the house he calls the police this time they don't they're not able to leave first though so we actually get this bit where the main villain is doing like a gymnastics thing where he's like up in the ceiling hiding from the police yeah so still hyper competent so he where co- did that go he calls the police again again they come and they find no evidence and this mm-hmm. now they're taking it seriously like, son this is twice in a row you've called in a false report you're in big mm-hmm. trouble and the mum's very apologetic the siblings are making fun of him saying oh this is going to be your permanent record if you call the police again they're never going to come you've dragged down our family name <laughs> Alex <laughs> right so okay fair enough 
right we've set this up so that's why the next day and he's, he's drawn his little map out he's like okay they've done this house they've done this house which means this house mm-hmm. is probably next i'm going to investigate so he uses the toy car itself with a camcorder so, strapped to the top of it to try and yes. get evidence he wants to collect evidence that these burglaries are burglaries burglar these thieving incidents are happening <laughs> i want i want to take a little quick di- detour here yes. i saw a thing that apparently scottish people cannot say purple burglar alarm i mean purple and alarm i'm fine with but bur- you gotta say it all at once purple burglar alarm i'll take it good enough uh, anyway um I, the one thing that i, I had to really do, focus though i want to make that yeah. clear. i had to really focus uh one thing i wanted to throw in here is that very early on in this movie we show that alex has like a bunch of these little gadgets and tiny things that he just makes in his own time so he has like an automatic fish feeder he has this universal remote that he uses to mess with his neighbor's oh, tv oh, oh. he's got a universal remote that he has like a a booster scope on so that it'll right. fire across the street through the window and he messes with like the his neighbor's tv yeah which i actually really appreciate because that was one of my critiques i had with the original home alones is that it never really gave me enough of a feeling that kevin knew how to do all this stuff that it kind of just came out of nowhere that he was just this competent of setting up oh, yeah. these crazy but, traps but to be fair these his traps were quite simple and mm-hmm. not only were they quite simple it made sense that the things that he was trapping were stuff that the people entering the house were definitely going to interact with. Things like doors, yes. windows. If it's a dark room, they're going to go for the light switch. Mm-hmm. Here, a lot of the traps rely on very, like, you know, like they have to sit in this chair. Oh, it's good that he mm-hmm. decided to have a seat. Oh, this hook that's just dangling out in the open. Oh, it's good that it caught onto his coat because yeah. that could have easily not no, happened. I'm not. I'm not saying the traps aren't even more like insane that they fell for any of them. However, I do like the idea that they took just that t- like one or two shots to just establish that he is the kind of kid okay. who would do this sort of thing. I just that's a t- my only little token of gratitude. I'll give it here. It's it's uh, slim pickings, but I'll, yep. I'll I'll give it to you. <laughs> so we get this whole big sequence where he's driving the remote control car around with a camera on top of it, and he's getting a live feed from the camera, uh, which I thought hmm. was an interesting technological thing. Uh, I I had a toy camera that did that that I was able to go around my house and it gave a live feed back to the TV. That being said, that was probably early to mid 2000s, so I'm going to go ahead and say no to this. I mean, but... this is just a regular camcorder, though, that yeah. somehow he's getting a signal. Okay, fair enough. What, what gets me, though, is that obviously the, 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 the camera's recording onto its mini DV tape that's in the camera, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the bad guys get that tape, so he actually doesn't get the proof. We'll talk about this whole sequence, but at the end of the sequence, he gets the camera back, and he doesn't ha- doesn't have the tape in it. He's like, shit. And I'm like, you had a feed going to a tape. Why don't you just record it locally as well in a VCR? Look, Alex is smart. He's a smart kid, but even <laughs> he doesn't know how to functionally program his VCR. Program just have the card. He's, he's there. He's in the room. Hit the button, you little shit. I mean, obviously the the answer is because the movie would be over. But <laughs> yeah, it's again, it just goes back to that sort of thing where the first movie was so tightly written. It had a reason for everything happening. 
and they just didn't do that for this one. They just said, "Ah, eh, yeah, he he lost the tip. Yeah. Whatever, moving well, on." Anyway, Alex's driving skills with this uh, toy truck mm. is is something else. Like he, he so he he drives it across into the house that's been broken into, right? And he goes in and he's, he's he's drawn a little map from memory. Obviously, he's you know a friend lives here or something, so he's he's been in the house. He knows what the layout is, so he's drawn yeah. out a rough map. But he forgot the steps. There's like a little, just two steps that go from the, the sort of kitchen area into the living room. And it's mm. okay, it's just two steps. I buy that you'd forget that. It's, it's a little detail. And he's like, shit, how do I do this with the truck? Or the toy car? And he pulls off like a little move with the with the, the toy car where he spins the tire. And I don't believe that the, the car has this amount of you know control available to it. But... He, okay. pull, he pulls off this little thing where he spins the wheels in such a way that it mm-hmm. kicks the rug that's under the car down the stairs and makes a ramp for the, the car. Yeah. I said, well, what's wrong with that, Pete? <laughs> what do you mean? Not only that, when he when he drives it down and around the corner and he, he sees the bad guy you know, mm-hmm. rummaging through things... He angles the car up. It's, it's like it's got a suspension control, and it okay. angles up to aim up at him. Yeah, so I will at least give this credit is that they showed that earlier on where he drove the car over to his mom with like a glass of water on the back of it, and he lifted oh, it up. I think that's just what's special about this specific car is that it can like raise and lower its tires. Okay, okay. They established that it has that built in. Okay, yep. I'll, My I'll favorite part, that. though, comes five minutes later during the chase scene, talking oh, about what this... No, no, no. Oh, no. I just want to say it here because it's about what this car is capable of. It can go through planks of wood and just shatter them. Oh, it's very strong, yes. Uh, yeah. well, the thing I didn't want to skip over, though, is mm-hmm. that Alex is so good at driving this thing and being aware of like the surroundings that... So the car goes under this table and the bad mm-hmm. guy hears something and he turns around and Alex realizes that you'll see it under the table because of the angle, so he backs it up just like a two feet, so that it's the perfect angle that the guy won't see it from his position. Mm. And I thought this is obscenely good, like awareness of like the the, the viewing angles here. Um, it, it's, it's 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 next level stuff. Obviously, the bad guy is faking that he doesn't know it's there, and he sort of pops his head in like a little jump scare a second yeah. later, and he's like, "This is weird." The car we're looking for came up to us. But then, obviously, the whole scene from that point on is Alex trying to drive it away from them and make a daring escape. Uh, there's there's a little subsequence here where he drives it away and it gets stuck under clothes in a laundry basket. And so he has to go around using his universal remote and calling the house in order to get the guy out of the room so yes. he's then able to drive his truck out. That, that's, to me, was the, the closest... That- well, until later with the parrot, this was the closest they got to the the, the movie thing from the first two, where mm. he's playing because when the TV turned on, it almost sounded like it was going to be angels. I thought this would have been a cool little callback if you actually had it be angels with filthy souls, yeah, on the TV. Uh, mm. But they didn't do that. There was just some random western or something. It was probably a real movie, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, that that would have been such an easy callback. That would have just been a nice little wink and a nod, you know. See, but, they would have. That- I feel like they probably only had the rights to that likeness for that first movie. They would have had to go back and tell him, "Hey, can we have you in the third movie again?" But no, I don't think so. I don't think so. If it's archive footage, I think if they, if they, if they do anything True. new, I think that's yeah, they have to pay him for it. But I think if it's literally just played a clip of the previous movie, you can do that. 
Maybe, but wasn't that a whole thing in Back to the Future 2 that Crispin Glover, like, sued for that because they used his face without his permission? If it was, like, a photo or something, that's fair game because they're using a photo, but... If if like say if they start a Back to the Future two, they said previously on Back to the Future and showed some mm-hmm. clips from Back to the Future. He can't do anything about that. It's literally been used as archive footage. It's just right. it's showing Back to the Future again. I think it's I think it's also in how much they get paid as well. I think they do need to. They might not have to get permission, but they might still have to get royalties for it. I mean, I'm sure there's a bunch of depending on contracts. I'm sure there's legal yeah specifics to every deal out there so there's no one size fits all but i think in this case because it's just playing footage again that's the Mm. exact same footage it's a problem i know i just watched like a bunch of making it alien 3 stuff uh the last couple days ago and there was a whole thing where they were making like a dead version of uh michael bean's character from aliens Mm. uh and they did this without permission and it just so happens he sort of heard about it while they were making the movie and said, uh, you can't do that. We'll sue you. Because right. that's his likeness. And they said, well, can we pay you for it? And he said, no. And then he regretted saying that. But then later on, they asked, hey, can we use your likeness in an image just, you know, as, as a part of the movie? And he said, yeah, sure, you can pay me for that. And he get paid almost as much for that as he did for starring in the previous wow. movie. Yeah. Um, but I, again, I think if they just used a clip of Aliens, that's fair game because it's just the archive footage of the yeah. previous thing. I, I, I think that is fair game, but it's only if they use it in a new way. I guess you could argue that because it's playing in a TV in the scene, maybe that's technically different. But again, that's something for Hollywood lawyer, lawyers to fight over. <laughs> I was going to say, this This sounds like the exact sort of thing that strikes have been put up recently. Let's just, yeah, it's a whole yeah. complicated thing. It's a whole thing. Uh, yeah, so luckily the the camera can see through the bra that the the car is yeah. like behind when it's under these clothes. But which okay, I guess this is the best place to kind of put it. So the first two movies, there was like maybe one or two jokes that were like focused on the groin or anything like that. <laughs> i feel like this movie just really really ramped it up where they're just like nope we're just constantly going to be referencing how people are hit and zapped and punched in the groin constantly and then add on top of it there's this weird obsession with showing underwear as well you mean later on when the uh the sexy bad guy because mm. that's how they put that's the thing you've got the leader with the accent You've got the tech guy, you've got the the sort of brutish dumb guy, and then I can only describe the woman as the sexy one, because that's yeah. really all she, you know, she looks kind of vaguely evil and sexy as she's saying things, and that's kind yeah. of her whole character. Pretty much. Uh, but she uh, bends over later in the movie, and her, her trousers split in the back. And that's, yeah, but then also so in this laundry scene, like you said, there's a bra that it's peeking through, and then as the uh, other bad guys get electrocuted later on, the backs of their uh things are lightning shoots out of a guy's asshole exactly my point why were we so focused on this style of humor this time it just feels so weird here because they're hacks that's why (laughs) it's still john hughes writing that's the part that gets me it is okay but how much of that's in the script though and how much of that is just like the director and the effects guy saying what can yeah. we do with this? You because know? as soon the that was my immediate thing of as soon as I saw his filmography and I saw Scooby Doo and Scooby Doo Two, I was like, okay, I get it. There <laughs> it is. That's the link. Yeah. I. So anyway, there's this whole chase sequence where they're trying to chase this toy car. They actually grab it at one point, but then mm-hmm. Alex 
rides it up like uh, the woman's face because she's holding yeah. it and it just goes flying up her face. Uh, and then there's a whole chase sequence where they're individually like jumping over hedges, trying to get to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the at one point the tech guy's in the car and he doesn't want to run over it because that might destroy the 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 you know the thing they're being paid for the, the yeah. chip that's inside it. Uh, but it ends up there's a whole thing here where. Alex puts it in one backyard, and there's like a sort of snow ramp. It's basically like there's like mm. a it's like a little sledding area they've got in this back garden, and he rides up that and does a jump over the alleyway into his backyard to get the car back. And it does this thing where the techie guy is actually standing underneath it and just sort of turns at the exact right moment so that he won't see it, and it goes over his head. Literally, it goes over his head. Yeah. Uh. So I was like, okay, that's that's it. Kind of felt like. With this one, okay, all the trap stuff has to come in the third act. And it still kind of mm. does. They start the planning for the traps a bit earlier, of course. Yeah. But it felt like they wanted, like, a big set piece. And this this toy car, like, chase was their big, yeah. like, sort of middle of the movie, like, antic set piece. In in comparing it to the last movie, this is the part where he's messing with the hotel people. This is the part yeah, kinda, where he's yeah. going through and just doing, like, tiny lighter things that are just kind of screwing with him a little bit. Yeah, and then... The bad guys at this point are basically, okay, it has to be a kid. It's a toy car. It's mm. someone who we wouldn't have accounted for, and that makes sense that it's a kid. Because, you know, we, they probably looked into all the adults that live in the street because they've all got, you know, more records and things like that. So yeah. it's probably a kid. And sure enough, the woman just phones the house and pretends to be another mom and asks about a toy car and is like, oh, wait, bingo, we've got him. So that sets up that the next day is the Home Alone Day. It's the day where he's going to have all the traps. And what gets me is that Alex, like, starts doing some of the traps the night before when his parents yeah. and siblings are still in the house. And there's, like, a whole joke at the start where the mum needs to get her coat and Alex is like, no, 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 I'll get it for you. I'll get it for you. You go in the kitchen and do something. And it's because he's got, like, a, a boxing glove trap set up in the closet and mm-hmm. he's just having to, like, try... I was like, this is so weird that half of your traps are set up whilst the rest of the family is, like, getting up for work and school and sauntering yeah. about the house it's it's one of those things where i it, i made the complaint last movie where they had all of the traps that he needed to put down were done in like two hours and they specifically showed that in movie i was like that doesn't seem long enough so then they decided okay well we'll have him start the night before but then they go through the whole problem of dude you've got like on every single exit here things <laughs> that will kill people and you're just gonna let your parents yeah. and siblings walk out the door to be fair, most of the big ones he doesn't do until after they leave. Because there's, there's a second... This is, this is my problem with this, is there's two montages of him setting yeah. up traps. They do mm-hmm. it once, and then they have the morning stuff, and then they do it again. And yep. it's like, okay, I guess that's the whole thing. There's also a thing here where the, the, the woman, the bad guys, uh, comes up to the door with the dog that they've stolen from someone else. Mm-hmm. And he uses a, a dog whistle to like make the dog sort of circle around her and then like drag her down like the path and that just kind of takes care of her before the mum leaves and then the mum leaves and then we get a second montage of him setting up all these traps and when you see some of the traps actually happen some of these would have taken so much time that i'm like this is like so like you could say the first movie was implausible if you want but this is way more implausible like one of the traps is like it's the woman who gets involved in this one where there's like an entire pathway that's got like thick layers of like a mud or something mm-hmm. that she's walking through and i'm like 
this isn't just as simple as like putting some water down some steps this is like he's created like a a trench yeah <laughs> that he, she's walking through in this second part in the second setup because the first setup he had all night to work i was willing to accept whatever it is they wanted to do there but in the second setup which they specifically say is going to be like an hour maybe two tops he manages to unscrew and move his entire diving board that is attached to his pool over like 30 feet and then cut you use a riding mower to bring in a trampoline cut a hole in said trampoline and position that all perfectly for a later trap if i as a 30 year old were doing that in as fast as i could i guarantee you it would take me more than an hour and he and, still did other stuff. And this is all in the snow as well. So yeah. it's like it's not even like good working conditions. And which, he has the chicken pox. Which, by the way, they said that there's a storm coming in, right? It's going to happen during all this trap part of the movie. And I felt mm-hmm. like there was never a storm. I, I felt like there was maybe a bit of snow coming down at most. Yeah, I'll give it that. I mean, it's it's a problem of just showing it on screen. It didn't really feel like it was ever coming down hard, but it was always snowing. Yeah, but it was, like, light. I would not call this yeah, a storm. No. That's just a consistent flurry. Yeah, so it, the whole the whole thing with the traps here is that, like you say, the big trampoline thing, he's doing that in this hour. He's also doing this uh, this muddy trench outside. He's mm-hmm. also setting up this elaborate thing with the, the weights and the big, uh, like, trunk of books up, up top. Because that kind of... That could set have been up set up before one. his mum left. No, definitely not. He's also then in the second thing set up not one but two electrical traps. Yes. Yes. So the bad guys come up to the house. Uh, long-haired guy goes up to this, and this is the thing. There's a, he puts some wires across one of the back doors saying "Do not touch like electric or high voltage or something like that," mm-hmm. and the guy just sort of like assumes that it's fake. Is like, ah, uh, kids are dumb. And then he goes to cut it and then electrocutes him. And it's his ass that has the lightning bolt come out of it when he's getting electrocuted. Yep. Uh, the other guy, the techie guy, who's at another door at the side, decides to take a seat for some reason. And unfortunately for him, this seat's booby-trapped and electrocutes him. And he's got like a grid shape now in his back for the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. So that sets that up. Uh, he also is the one who walks into like the fish wire which turns on a hose with cold water, which starts splashing him in the face. And yep. all I could think was just step forward. Like, he, he keeps fighting with it to try and turn it off. And I'm like, all you have to do is take a step away and it won't be hitting you anymore. I I tried to start counting how many different contrivances there were in these, the things that did, <laughs> felt like you either had to be God himself to predict or it's just lazy writing. But by the time we hit the fishing wire, it just became too blurry of a mess of all of it, to some extent, yeah. is a contrivance. Because the, the leader of the bad guys comes up to the long-haired guy, right, and says, mm-hmm. hey, what the hell are you doing? Uh, and he pulls, like, the, the, the wiring that's electrocuted, he just pulls the plug out from the wall, and he's like, hey, mm-hmm. that's it, it's done. Don't be an idiot, come on, let's try the door. And they go to the door, and he actually notices the, the wire going up to this, like, set of weights, right, mm-hmm. the weight bar that's up above the door. And he's like, ah, let's cut that. And he thinks he solved it, but of course Alex has accounted for this and has double booby trapped it so that cutting that wire will release the big trunk of books, mm-hmm. uh, which comes out of the attic window, smashes through, comes down the house and hits them, you know, on the head. And all yep. I could think here, by the way, is that so that he's just 
Alex's own trap has obliterated this window upstairs. And okay. I thought, you know what? In the first Home Alone, part of the movie and the charm of it is that the parents and the family never know what he went through, right? And mm-hmm. that's this idea that he's went through it on his own and it's this learning experience and growing up experience that's just for him and his parents will never know about it. And all I could think was, is, is part of the way that worked was, is that all of his traps couldn't ruin the house. It's all stuff that he could clean up after and, mm-hmm. you know, no one, so the steps may still be a bit icy. Whatever, that's just, the steps are icy, be careful, right? It's no, one's no gonna, permanent damage. Yeah, no one's going to think twice about it. This kid is obliterating multiple windows, like, through many of his traps. Uh, just absolute chaos. Yep. Uh, the woman, meanwhile, goes to, like, another back door. How many doors does this, this place have, by the way? Because I feel like they oh, all have their own door. They're renovating. It's fine. Oh, There's a hundred doors. And she tries to do some gymnastics on the staircase going up to the door. And apparently Alex is accounted for this because mm-hmm. the, the, the banisters just fall away and she goes flying down and lands on her ass. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, okay, I guess that's a thing. Uh, yeah, I feel like they keep... I think a problem with a lot of the traps in this this part of the movie is that mm. they keep kind of like outsmarting the obvious trap, but then Alex seems to have always been a step ahead and always thinks of what they're yeah. going to do instead. And that always seems to be what actually sets the trap off. Also, I just double time with that is not only do we, because of that setup, need to have two traps for every actual trap there is. We need to have the one they avoid and the one that they actually mm-hmm. fall for. But because there's four of them, they're playing so quickly. There's barely enough time to realize what in the hell has actually happened to any of them before we just cut away and cut to the next one and show, okay, now they're doing this now. It's yeah. just it's so rapid fire the whole time. Yeah, I think the woman puts her hand in a window uh, to get in. And there's like a tub of like uh, adhesive glue mm-hmm. or something like that like uh, it's, it's there. So that takes her glove. Uh, likewise, when the long-haired guy breaks into a window and he puts his feet in, his feet go into these two toy boxes with wheels that are filled with this adhesive uh, yep. stuff. There's also, at some point in there, one of them pops their head in the window and we do the hello thing where he fires a water balloon that's filled with paint into one of their faces. Yeah, it's the long-haired guy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the techie guy goes into through the, the garage, I think it is, and... Mm. He's dumb enough to think that these legs that are dangling down are the legs of the kid, even though they're adult-sized and not moving. Yeah. And it's actually uh, a big, uh, you know, stuffed monkey that has, like, human clothes on for some reason, right? It's just something the family has for... Yep. Let's not question it. But he pulls it down, and this pulls down uh, a lawnmower, which turns on... Uh, it's been rigged mm-hmm. to turn on, and it comes down onto his face. And then the joke is, is that it cuts some some of his hair. He's got like he's got lines of his hair missing. And I'm like, if that lawnmower hit him in the face, he's just he's dead. It's a slasher yes. movie kill. There's so many points where they all should be dead, but that one was the one where I was like, okay, no, kid, like <laughs> this is murder. You have officially changed this to an R-rated film. There's no way around that. And here's the thing: can I, can I just ask the question here? Yeah. Uh, all the stuff with this this guy, the tech guy, and the part of the house he's in, very mm-hmm. quickly we see, uh, especially when the long-haired guy... No, is it a tech guy? I don't know. One of them comes in a window and immediately falls through the floor. And yeah, that's the tech guy. It, yeah, and falls through, like, two floors, and it's all rooms that are kind of empty as if they've not been done, 
like being built, right? They're just yeah. like you know, there's floors, there's no like uh, plaster They're or anything. Renovating. Did they set mm-hmm. that up earlier in the movie that they've got a whole section of the house that's been renovated? Because I don't think they did. They didn't set up that there's a section of the house like on its own, but they did say that they were renovating earlier on. It was during that the part day, where okay. the phone calls were being traded. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry, did we get disconnected? And the mom was like, oh, yeah, it must have been on our side. We're renovating. Okay, she said that, fair enough, I guess. But I still mm-hmm. think we should see this section of the house at least once before this third act because yeah. this felt like such a weird cheat to me. Oh, all of a sudden, there's this big section of the house that is... Because mm-hmm. I, I, well, I, I never got the impression there was a section that was unfinished. We keep on cutting to the upstairs attic, which is also unfinished. And I wonder if that was supposed to be the idea that like, oh, no, see, they're still fixing things. But I always just consider an attic being unfinished as like acceptable. Yeah, I don't think that's normal. something that's really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so because it turns out that there's like three floors of unfinished stuff all at the same like sort of side of the house, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I mean, I just thought that was weird. I mean, I had a, I lived, my childhood home went through renovations. We built an extra, like, I don't want to call it a wing, but like an extra little addition to the house that was two floors that were all built sure. at the same time. So it would have been that at some point in the process, but you're right in that it's poor movie making that we never actually saw that beforehand. Oh, yeah. yeah. My critique is not that this wouldn't happen to a house. I get people mm-hmm. add like sections and if you're adding a section to the house, you're doing it for each floor. So yeah, you'd have yeah. that. But my complaint is, is that at no point do you see any of these family members like talk about it or walk into it or just mm-hmm. establish that it's there and establish that, you know, maybe there's some work tools lying around. Not that he uses any work tools in his traps. I'm fair that right. I'm questioning why he didn't now, to be honest. Because he has so many toys, Pete. So many toys. Yeah, so many toys. Um, and of course, a big part of his plan is that the parrot and the mouse are going to, to do things for him. Yes. Which so real is quick, bullshit. Be- before, <laughs> before we get to the parrot and the mouse stuff, uh, I do want to go back because there are two things that we kind of skipped over before the whole trap scenes that do come back in a big way. Oh, go on. So the number one is that when Alex actually finds this chip, he pops open the truck and he sees it inside there oh, he sees te- of course of course yes. he sees text on there that says property of the u.s air force so he gives a call up to a recruiting office in town that says kid that's probably just a toy don't need to worry about it but he gives the numbers anyway which then flags an fbi agent who immediately realizes oh wait he is the chip we're going to chicago so that's the first thing that's a big thing the second thing is that right before all the trap scene starts the old woman across the street is given a call by Alex's mom and says, can you go check in on him? I'm just held up here at work. And so the criminals actually stop her, tie her up in her garage and leave all of the windows and doors open. So she's like exposed to the elements of the snowstorm as all of this is going on. And Alex is aware of this. Alex is aware that she is being taken hostage or whatever yeah. by these criminals. Yeah, she's freezing to death. Although, yeah. I will say, when we do see her, knowing that this has only been about an hour, I feel like she's a bit too on death's doorstep after one hour for me. Eh, she's supposed to be like 90, so <laughs> I'll give her that. Okay, fair enough. Uh, yeah, uh, the... I mean, hell, at one point, like, the Alex has rigged a toilet to empty onto the long-haired guy. No, he did not. No? That one, I will say, is sheer luck because he, as the guy, whatever happens to him where he falls down the stairs, his gun just goes off 
and fires okay, yeah. into the pipe. Like that one was just sheer Which bad luck. Apparently, on his end. it's full of diarrhea. Yeah, someone in that house is not eating properly. Yeah, because this is just liquid shit that is just drizzling mm -hmm. all over him. And I'm like, okay. And also, when he falls down the stairs, he does this like really ridiculous like flip that just defies physics. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, he falls down the stairs and that happens to him. So he actually ends up taking the because they're all in like white like camel because like blend mm -hmm. in with the snow, except the leader who's still wearing his black jacket. But uh, he actually puts on the '70s style suit that the monkey was wearing. Mm -hmm. uh just to get a fresh set of clothes so that's yep. what he's wearing for the rest of the the whole thing um the bad guys are all in the house at this point uh, the, the leader gets the boxing glove to the deck uh in the closet yep. you know and his shotgun fires off and then he throws away his shotgun in frustration afterwards and i'm like so you're just leaving this shotgun lying around in this family's house that's a bit of a weird uh element that's just been eh. forgotten about if they get the chip it doesn't even matter yeah, they can and leave then, all this behind. And then he ends up swapping his gun completely on accident with this toy gun that's been spray-painted black. Mm -hmm. Although, what's funny is that Alex has a second toy gun that shoots bubbles, which I noticed at the start of the movie when you first see it, because they set it up, and he pulls it out of a case, and I went, that that does not have, like, a colored tip to show that it's a toy. That actually looks very nope. real for, for yeah. a toy gun. If he walked outside with that, he would probably get shot. Oh, yes. Yeah. No, for sure. I, I don't know when that became U.S. law of getting the orange tip put on things, but this definitely feels like it should have been covered under that. Yeah, uh, so just a point, because at least the other one makes sense. He intentionally paints it black to make it look mm -hmm. fake, or look real, I should say. Uh, yeah. Although, that does not account for the bad guy thinking it weighs the same amount, because there's no way in no. hell it would. Not at all. Also, <sighs> eventually we'll get to the part where Alex does come across the real gun and rather than use it for anything, he just immediately disposes of it. He just sets it down in a trash can. And I'm like, kid, you had a real good bargaining chip there. I'm, I'm not saying you should have used it, but you should have at least kept it. T to be fair, like at his age, he probably did the right thing of just like making sure it was out of sight. I, I agree in the sense that obviously that is a real weapon and it is not good for a kid to have a real weapon. However, all of the other traps up to this point have been so much more lethal than any of Kevin's traps. Yeah, except like, it's a cartoon, so none of them are actually right. dying. Which is why I don't think that having a gun would have been a big deal either. It's just like, ah, oh, yeah, you I know, don't know. just shoots I, him and blows off his hat. If anything, I am shocked that they even had him touch it because there's a big thing in movies with kids with them mm -hmm. actually interacting with guns. And anyway, even in Terminator 2, there was a conscious choice never to have young John Connor actually fire a weapon because they didn't want to have a child uh, at 12 fair. firing a weapon. So this is a conscious choice that, that's made and it surprised me that he even touched it. But yeah, he just picks it up and throws it in the trash, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so they get upstairs and there's a whole thing here where his pet mouse climbs into the 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 pants of the techie guy and there's a hole there because of one of the previous traps and mm -hmm. it's, it's this mouse is sticking its head out and this is actually one of the few things that feels like they're directly ripping off a moment from the previous films so this yeah. is the scene in the first movie where the spider's on harry's face and marv's like hold still harry i'm gonna get it right except here the woman's like hold still i have to get it and the tech guy's like what 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 and she takes the bat or whatever she's holding and swings it at his crotch. And they just, they go too far with it. 
just immediately he, they have him do this like high falsetto note and he's screaming for so long and then the quote that i said from the beginning of you smashed my winky and it's just yeah okay too yeah much. we have to address the fact that the grown man said it that way he said mm-hmm. you smashed my winky what grown man unless he's cracking a joke which he is definitely not cracking a joke at this point why would he ever say winky because he is a 34 year old virgin and <laughs> that's just how he is he he he's a this is the thing the answer to this question is because this is a movie made for little babies and home yes. alone one and two well there were family films while well, they worked for kids were not made just for little babies this movie no. is made with logic that will only work for little babies and that's There's- what this was there's a difference between a family film and a children's film. Home Alone 1 and 2 were family films. This is a children's film. Yes. So, yeah, there's a whole thing here where uh, Alex gets up to the attic and he goes down like the, the little mm-hmm. like elevator. Oh, we didn't even say the parrot bit. They, uh, Buzz 2.0, whatever <laughs> the guy's name is, uh, he has a full poster of this woman in his room that Alex then cuts out and puts in the shower and has the parrot singing songs. So that way the guy thinks that there's someone in the shower. And then there's no trap or anything. He doesn't get injured. He's just distracted. Yeah, it's just a distraction. Uh, the big like final trap moment really is the, the trampoline. But it's mm-hmm. uh, Alex gets outside and he shows something that's clearly meant to sound like Kevin McAllister. Uh, he doesn't say horse's ass or whatever, but he says something mm-hmm. like, oh, you filthy criminals. You no good numbskull law-breaking criminals ain't gonna get me in there. Yeah. Something like that. I- I'm shocked he didn't say before I called the cops because that yeah. was what Kevin said. It was a very mm-hmm. similar cadence the way he delivered the line. But uh, the two, the techie and the dumb guy get out onto the roof and they're going to jump in the trampoline and you realize what the what the trap is now is that yep. they jump to the trampoline and they go through it because it's been cut and they fall in the freezing pool. So mm-hmm. they're trapped in this pool that is, you know, half ice and they're chattering. And when they eventually, when the police get them out later, they've got bits of ice like around their waist and they're just there, you know, and the cops show up and say, freeze! And they're like, you gotta be kidding me. And you hear the sad trombone. The yes. Womp, 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 womp. Uh, the woman tries to go in the little elevator that Ke- uh, that's uh, said Kevin that Alex took down to get out of the house, uh, mm-hmm. but Alex, of course, has removed the bottom of the elevator, so she doesn't even notice that there's a big hole and just goes to sit in the elevator shaft and falls to the bottom and lands on her ass, and she will never her tailbone is completely yeah. shattered and she will never walk again. Before with the tech guy falling through three stories, landing on a toilet. I was like, okay, he's never going to walk again. But then he did. And then they show this woman falling down three stories down this tiny little tube of an elevator down the house. And when they pull her out at the end of the movie, she's all contorted up and like bent into position. I was like, what is this Willy Wonka bullshit going on here? The only justification that she's not completely shattered her spine is that I guess because like her limbs are up against the the, the sides of this elevator shaft, Mm -hmm. that it's maybe slowing the, the fall down enough that she's not getting the full impact but i mean that's I, I, i'm, I'm stretching yeah i'm yeah. stretching there okay 
So at this point, he's made his way out of his own yard and he's decided, okay, they're taken care of. I need to go check on the old lady across the street. I think it was Saver, yeah. We're going to be a little yeah. hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, I noticed at this point that the main bad guy, the leader, had been kind of missing for a little bit. So mm-hmm. he pops out here and says, you've fallen into one of my traps. I was waiting for you here, you little shit. But Kevin pulls out his bubble gun that looks real. The bad guy realizes his gun's fake. And I'm like, yeah, why again, why wouldn't he notice the weight of it as he's pointing at him? But whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he just runs off. Like, the, the, the interaction with the villains here ends with this spy who's been wanted for the FBI for years runs away from a kid who he thinks has a gun. He just yep. runs away. That's it. That's the I mean, thing. to be fair, if there was a kid with a gun pointed at me, yeah, I'd run away too. But... Yeah, but you're not a spy who's been wanted by yeah. the FBI for years. Exactly. This is as soon as they threw out the line because it's happened somewhere in here. They threw out the line North Korea, like oh they're working through a North Korea terror organization. I'm like, all right, then none of this makes any sense anymore. Yeah, well that's the thing because the the FBI guy goes to the school right where mm-hmm. Alex's mom is now, and then you've got the two older siblings, and they, they start talking to the older brothers like, hey, we need to talk to your son here. Uh, he called the Air Force about a, a chip from a, a toy car, and the woman's like, oh no, that's my other son, Alex, and. For some reason, like the one thing the siblings do for him in this movie is mm-hmm. when the FBI guy refuses to tell them what this is about, ScarJo gets up in his face and like sort of puts her hand in the door and says, "You ain't leaving your shit. You're telling <laughs> us. You're telling us what my little brother's into right now." And, See, and it did. It didn't even feel like it was for the brother though. It felt like it was more for the mom at that point. Yeah, I can see that. But she says, you know, that thing you're talking about is my little brother. So it kind of felt like this is like, okay, they've been mean to him the whole time. So now they're going to stick up for him and be concerned for him. And they're all shocked when the guy says, we believe your son's intercepted a security ship that North Korea is after that's going to change the face of uh, the Air Force and the fighters and warfare forever. Yeah. And they all just have their jaws, you know, a gap. Just because, yeah, this sounds yeah. crazy. Uh, so they're all rushing to get home uh, to try and save Alex from the bad guys. Mm-hmm. But he's already, like, dealt with them. Uh, oh, yeah. And so they get these three bad guys that are all in the house and they're all injured, either in the ice pool or in the, the elevator shaft. And mm-hmm. then it's just the main bad guy who's missing. But it turns out he's hiding in the little fake igloo in the backyard, which Alex has rigged with fireworks. And mm-hmm. the parrot, who now because the control for the toy car is on top of the toy car. The parrot is now driving the toy car on his own. He drives into the igloo, lights a match, and the the bad guy tries to offer him a cracker, which the parrot does like. The parrot says, I want two. And he's like, I only have one. So the parrot lights the match and then drives out of the igloo and the fireworks set off and that alerts the police to where the bad guy is. So they all, they're all caught. In the end of this movie, the family's all in the kitchen. The dad gets home from his business trip. And the end of the movie is the parrot driving in again into the room on the toy car. But this time, the mouse is on the front of the car. So you've got this just ultra kiddie cartoony shit of the parrot driving this toy car on his own and saying shit. And the family all laughs and like, oh, that's our parrot, the crazy parrot that he is. The only thing I wanted to mention here is that the old lady's over, like hanging out with them at this point because she's like Mm -hmm. thankful that you know, Alex saved their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, she mentions that when she, like, got, like, presents or something like that at Christmas... Uh, she had chicken pox. Oh, chicken pox, that's what it was. When she had chicken pox, uh, Hoover was in the White House, and I thought, is that the only tangible reference to Home Alone that you're going to make? Because Hoover came up in the hotel. 
he stayed in one that, of the suites. That's such a stretch, but yeah, technically it is still a reference. That's all I've got for you. And it's, the movie ends with the bad guys getting their mugshots. The yeah. end. Yeah. So one thing that I do want to throw out at you here, because uh-huh. I found this to be an interesting little bit of trivia, is that at some point in production, I don't know if it was pre-production, post, wherever, or not clearly not post, but like somewhere in there, this was originally thought of as a essentially a pilot for a TV show. <laughs> where I don't have any more details, but can't can't you just see it being a thing of like a cartoon version of these four villains that just keep on trying to attack Alex for whatever reason? And then there's like the cartoon version of the parrot and the mouse as well that mm-hmm. do all these hijinks with it. Can't you just like see that happening? Yeah, and a cartoon, sure. Yeah. Uh, but obviously here the parents are well aware of everything their son went through and are just mm-hmm. like, oh, I guess that's all over. Okay. Yep. Like, Oh, and that's the other thing is that the FBI is fully repairing everything to do with the house. Yeah. But the the mom should be like, like when she finds out that there's these like spies who are maybe targeting her son, she should be f- like the mom in the first movie is more distressed as she left him home alone. This, mm-hmm. this woman should be like screaming for her son's safety at this point in the movie. Yeah, uh, which I, I guess the only thing they have is that oh the, the, yeah the main kid has to have a hot redhead for a mum. That's the only <laughs> that's the only lineage we have between the two. Between I can't two, wait one to see when that's broken. Oh god, yeah, we'll see in the fourth movie. Is there still like yeah. a, a redhead mum, or is yeah. that has that been abandoned? I think I want to say the one thing I know about Home Alone Four, other than that, French Stewart's one of the bad guys, mm-hmm. is that I think it is meant to be Kevin again somehow. Is it? Yeah, even though he's younger than the previous movies. It's ah, just... I'm not a fan of that. Yeah, so we'll get to that. Yep. Uh, needless to say, there's not a lot to recommend in this movie. The traps are hard oh, no. to enjoy because they're too goofy and cartoony in the way they present them. You don't have villains that you enjoy seeing get their comeuppance because they're not really characters. They're kind of they're so bland that you just don't give a shit. They're just cutouts. That's all they yeah. are. Uh, the main kid has no charisma. Uh, the siblings are bar- barely characters. Uh, like the only thing the dad does that's memorable is that he, he when he's leaving for the airport he walks he's walking away without his pants on and Kevin mm-hmm. or uh, Alex is like hey dad you're not forgetting something and that's that's a, that's that's all he's got yeah no I I think that this movie the hardest thing that it had going against it is that none of the characters have like anything to them there's no not even the relationships between them, really. I mean, sure, we get this idea that the siblings are, like, hard on their brother or whatnot, but every other movie had the benefit of being set directly at Christmas time. And while this is very clearly winter, and this is before Christmas, because they were still, like, you know, Christmas lights up and stuff like that, they don't do Christmas. There's nothing where they take a moment and say, like, oh, mom, I don't want chicken pox for Christmas, or, oh, I can't believe... I'm not getting presents this year, like anything at all. It's just a winter movie at this point, and so they don't have that emotional heart to it at all. Yeah, yeah. The only like thing that feels unique about the movie, like a new idea, is the whole toy car kind of segment Mm -hmm. where he's he's you know driving that around and dodging the bad guys. Not since the fifth Dirty Harry movie have I seen such an exciting toy car chase. I was gonna say, I do believe you titled our review of that of the best car chase or the best toy car chase in cinema is this topping that 
no it's not no all right uh, fair enough that that was funnier because it was actually like meant to have stakes and like oh no mm-hmm. this car actually has got a bomb on it so there's actually like a reason to chase it uh that was way funnier and it was funnier because it was in an even more inappropriate movie whereas yeah. this is in a dumb kids movie and that's the problem with it is this is just a dumb kids movie whereas mm-hmm. home alone one and two aren't just dumb kids movies i think that they go beyond that they're better than that uh yeah. this is just a dumb kids movie and that's kind of it so david mm-hmm. what are you rating mm-hmm. home alone three oh god um that's a tough one obviously i think that it is below the average mark of a five so the question is how far below i think i would give this one i think i'll give it a flat four it's i i can't really expand on anything besides what i've already said it's just it's missing everything that the first two Home Alones had that made it that little bit of extra something, whether that be the John Williams score, whether that be the emotional core of it, whether that be interesting characters. It's missing all of it. It's just not got anything going for it. The only thing that's getting it the four is that it is still a decently made movie. It's not like it's hitting like Neil Breen levels I, I, of yeah, this incompetence is, or anything. This was still theatrically released, and it feels right. like a movie that was released in theaters. Um, I, I actually agree. I was going to go with a flat four as well. I think, mm-hmm. you know, I would sum it up as just not good. And I think that's where a four sets. Like, it's not yeah. painful to watch. It, there's definitely worse. And I suspect that this franchise might go to worse places oh, beyond this. But this is a four out of ten if I ever saw one. Uh, it's simply just bad, but not the most painful thing ever either, you know? So, yeah. So, in terms of the collection. Clearly, it's a cut above, yeah? Uh, I think it's just a simple doesn't make the cut. I don't think it's yeah. painful enough to be cut steeper, whatever. Yeah, that's so. fair. Cut from the collection. All right, well, there you go. That's uh, Home Alone 3. Next time, we'll be back with Home Alone 4, which I think is subtitled mm-hmm. Taking Back the House. I could be mistaken. God, I couldn't care less. Because <laughs> uh, the fifth one's Holiday Heist, and then six mm-hmm. is uh, Home Sweet Home Alone. So uh yeah we'll see you next time for home alone 4 it's a it's a completely fresh one for me i just know that french shirt from third rock from the sun is one of the bad guys and it may technically be kevin McAllister again even though it won't make any sense that it's still him but hey ho that's 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 uh that's collector's cut uh you can support us over at patreon.com slash tv and get access to a couple of different monthly bonus shows uh, at $3 and up per month, you get access to the Criterion Cut, which is where we review some of the best movies of all time that have came from the Criterion Collection. And at $5 and up, you get access to Extra Reels, which is a show where we do the opposite of that. We do the worst movies of all time. So those are both monthly exclusive Patreon or YouTube member shows that you can get access to. So uh, go check them out. And it helps keep the lights on. It helps keep the show going. Uh, mm-hmm. Plus there's bonuses for other shows that you might be interested in as well so uh go check out all that but uh that is the show uh, and if you can't support us with some monies over there uh, by all means support us for free by simply hitting the like button it helps more people find the show so uh or rate us on your podcast app of choice but that is us so thank you very much for joining us we always appreciate it keep watching tv and i left my winky in san francisco 